Lord, I want to thank you for drawing us. I want to thank you for this unique congregation and for the message that you have for us as individuals and corporately today. And I pray you'd help us to listen and to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. And so from the first sermon back, I'm doing the sermon with uh, uh, the bravest, boldest claim that I could possibly, um, uh, possibly think of. Twelve, not just possible ways, but guaranteed ways guaranteed ways that you could reinvigorate your life with Jesus if only you would do these things. It is a little ironic, I think, in the title, and we might work with it as we go. But nevertheless, it's a topic that I'm quite excited about this morning. I think, though, that if I was you, I'd be already a little bit irritated with me from the front, and I'd be a little intrigued. So you can work out by the end whether you're more irritated or intrigued as to the topic of today's sermon. So irritated, I think I'd be a bit irritated by... Well, how did he choose 12, and what if there were 13, or why, why wasn't it 5, or something like that? And why did he say guaranteed? It might not be guaranteed. How does he know what's the state of my heart? How does he know whether it's going to be guaranteed for me? And anyway, who says I need to invigorate, reinvigorate my relationship with Jesus? Isn't he making a claim on my life that I'm not willing to give him yet? And so I'd be a little bit irritated with me if I was you, so that's all right. I can live with that from the front. And then I'd be a little bit intrigued because it was like, okay, so this guy thinks he's got something to say, does he? Well, I wonder whether he's really got something to say. And so we'll work on this as we go through the morning. And you can rate me at the end. You can score me. You can email me or something like that at the end. That would be fantastic. I think the basis of my message today, though, is, is um, the sense of, of our need as Christians to be growing in our faith, not just at the beginning and not when we're young or not when we're new, but right through our entire Christian life. When I've been traveling over the last um, three weeks, I've been mainly, or, or two of my constant companions in that time, are two of our pastors um, from New Zealand, Cameron Webster from Urban and Auckland here, and Clark Alcott from Grace in, um, in Christchurch. And we discovered as we were traveling together that we all three, of us became Christians when we were 19. And we reflected back on 19. I mean, 19 maybe is a really significant age. And we do, you know, work hard, don't we, with our, our young people and teenagers that, you know, kind of in that time of softness um, and openness to the gospel. But our lives changed when we were 19. But the sort of extrapolating out that thought, we, we did come to the conclusion that if we were stuck where we were when we were 19 years old, we wouldn't be... We wouldn't be anywhere, probably. The, nine, the faith of a 19-year-old would not affect or, or, or be um, applicable in such a way to the, fa- to the faith of a 56-year-old like I am at the moment. Something has to grow. Something has to develop. And it seems like the Scripture um, leads us towards this as well. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that when I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant when I grew up. So there's this process. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. There was, a, there was a development of relationship, knowledge, understanding, practice, probably all sorts of things that Paul was thinking about. He goes on in Ephesians, this very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love, so that, that you know, there's something about what God has provided for us that the idea is that we would end up growing up and that we would be healthy. He's working on us and working with us. 1 Corinthians 2.10, the Spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. This is the work of God. This is the invitation of God. This This is the purpose of God, even in this week, 
even in this period of our lives, even in this next month of the year, is the work of purpose of God that we're looking at. And my favorite scripture for today, anyway, in, in, in the sense of these, is, is, is Jesus in calling Peter. He says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. There is something about getting out of the ankle deep. When I was 19, ankle deep seemed like it was over my head, but I quickly realized that it was only the beginning of things. And uh, as I've grown, as I've developed, there have been new adventures that I've had to come to along the way. And I think this is the invitation of God for all of us. Now, some of you have been in our church a little longer. Remember back in 2013, Fran and I, my wife and I, she's in Christchurch today, she says hello, um, apologies for not being here. Um, we went on a sabbatical and we were able to travel around Europe um, with a, a group of university students from Canada and North America from the university we did our masters. And we were like sort of camp mum and dad and we traveled around on a bus and we and it's um you may probably won't have heard of it, but it's a it's a painting called The Raft of the Medusa. So the Raft of the Medusa is um, uh, painted in 1818 and 1819 by a French artist called Theodore Jericho. And, um, and it's an amazing painting which has great illustrations of some of the changes in art that took place early, a couple of centuries earlier in a period called the Renaissance. And in the Renaissance, art completely changed. And this is not an art lesson because I'm still only uh, surface deep in a whole lot of these things. But um, Jericho painted this, and so they used this in this book to describe some of the changes that had taken place. So for those who know something about art, you'll see some of the triangular formation that is in that um, picture. You'll see some of the movement from the bottom, what is it, the bottom right to the top left. Uh, you'll see some of the form. You'll see chiaroscuro, which is the playing of light and dark, which was experimented on by Leonardo and other people in the 1600s and came right through to here in the 1800s. And I was fascinated with this particular piece of artwork, and I knew it was in the Louvre. And so I looked at it, and I read it, and it's got all of these things, and, and I, I was really looking forward to getting to the Louvre and seeing it. So eventually, it was towards the end of our trip, we get to the Louvre, and, um, and there are three things that we want to see, right? You want to see the Mona Lisa when you go to the Louvre because that's, that's what everybody goes to see. So we go and see that. Fran wanted to see this, um, I think, 10th century, the oldest icon in the world, which came out of Egypt. And um, we went to see that for Abba Minas. Some of you will have seen or heard her talk about that. And I wanted to see the Raft of the Medusa. And so we were towards the end of our day, and I'd spent the day there sort of aware that we'll get it, and, and maybe even leaving it to last, because this was going to be the best thing along the way. And then when, I decide, when we decided that it was time to go, I couldn't find the darn thing. So I'm there in the Louvre, which is huge, of course, and um, I'm trying to find it. So I'm going to French paintings of the 1800s section, and there are, there are gallery after gallery after gallery, and I can't find the Raft of the Medusa, because you'd think, you know, kind of it's been used in a book, it'll be easy to find. And so I'm asking, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting a little panicky, and I'm never going to be in Paris again, and all these things, and all of this is going to go to waste. And then I finally get word that the Raft of the Medusa isn't in the French paintings, but is in the Big Pictures Gallery. Well, the Big Pictures Gallery, funnily enough, is where the big pictures live. And so I think about that, and it's like, as far as I'm concerned, the Raft of the Medusa is a, is a, is a six by four black and white postcard. And so, I, so we start to run, and we start to find this... Um, 
we start to find you know, these big pictures, and there are some significantly big pictures, and we burst through this thing, and we find the raft of the Medusa. So this is the raft of the Medusa, and uh, this doesn't do any justice to it at all in terms of the size, but this painting is five metres tall. So this, we reckon this ceiling is three and a half metres, so it goes another half up above that, and we reckon this stage is just about it's seven metres wide, so it's as wide as the back, so it's as wide as this um, wall, and it's, and it's half as high again. It is, it's not the biggest by any means, but it is of epic proportions. And I had seen this painting being this big, but in fact, it was that big, going right to the other side and half as big again. And I stood there in front of it with my mouth agape, and I'm thinking, I have only just begun to learn and to understand what this art business is all about. And when you see the real painting, it's not black and white, and it's not the size of a postcard, and it's not kind of fuzzy and furry and hard to see. It is epic. It is stand before it and jaw dropped and breath taken away, and you're discovering this thing for a whole new time. This is me at 19 as a Christian, very excited, very, very excited about having discovered something about Jesus having discovered about chiaroscuro and, 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 um, and, and you know, triangles and those sorts of things. But this is the painting. This is the whole thing that I was invited into as a 19-year-old. And at 56, I better have learned that it's colour, not black and white. And I better have learned that it's, that, it's, that it's a big painting to explore and to grow and to develop. And that's why I reckon all of us here today need to be willing and able to reinvigorate our relationship with Jesus because there is so much yet for us to discover. I've, no, I've found that. I've found it in a little way or I've found it along the way. Um, two Wednesdays ago, so ten days ago, I'm in Cambodia, and um, we're doing this. Um, we're doing this training of um, of vineyard or potential vineyard pastors. It's, it's quite kind of a long story, so it's hard to encapsulate the, the story of what we're doing and how we're doing it over in Cambodia. But we're doing this training thing for about forty pastors over four days, and on the first night of those meetings, um, I was speaking on. Um, uh, on a particular topic, and at the end of the time, we did a ministry time because that's what we do in the vineyard, right? So we're wanting to show this is this is kind of a typical vineyard thing. We pray for people. We're expecting the Spirit of God to come. We expect that He'll come tonight. That's what we always believe. So there was a pastor towards the back of it, um, and he he um, he didn't speak very good English, and I'd, I hadn't really spoken to him a lot during the day, but I'd met him. But I ended up going down the back and praying for him, and he's got his eyes closed his hands up, and I'm praying for him. And so, but it's one of those things where there's lots of people to pray for, so I'm about to move on. But as I'm about to move on, he reaches out with his right hand and he grabs my hand and he says, no, you need to, you need to pray for me. I said, okay, I've just prayed for you. <laughs> I've got to move on sort of thing. And he said, no, you need to reach out with his left hand. And he says, my left hand is my left. I, um, okay, so we're going to pray for it, all right? And, then I, and so I prayed for it. And, and nothing happens. Have you ever done that? So I pray for it, nothing happens. And I kind of look at him and he says, no, you need to pray for it. And so I start to channel my inner Robbie Dawkins, okay? So for those who know Robbie Dawkins. So I reach out with my right hand on his left hand and I say, um, I'm just going to move it and we're going to see whether God will do anything with it. So it's solid, right? It's just rigid. 
And so then I start to twist it a little bit, and I'm thinking, that sounds encouraging. I could cut and run right now and sort of, you know, kind of it's half a good story to tell. And then so, I, and I'm looking at him thinking, he doesn't seem to be, um, doesn't seem to be in too much pain. And so I start to twist it a little more. And in 30 seconds, maybe 60 seconds at the most, he's able to move his wrist as much as I'm able to move my wrist. And he's crying, and I'm crying, and, and I say, you know, kind of, you know, have you been healed? Um, has that really happened? And I say, do you want to, do you want to, um, do you want to tell people? So he goes up the front and he tells them all in Khmer and he tells them, you know, kind of gets translated into English. And the next day I see him again. This, you know, first thing you do, I kind of, I hope you're still healed, you know, kind of hope it wasn't. So I go, and he goes like this. And then I um, got a translator because his English wasn't all of that good and got him to tell a story. One year ago, came off a motorbike, hit the ground, completely shattered my arm. Um, uh, bad hospital care, something like that, completely frozen, unable to move. Today I can move it like this. And I kind of think, this is a journey. I have prayed for hundreds of people who haven't been healed. Sometimes I actually question myself, have I ever seen anyone healed? I know that I have, but it's certainly the minority. But here I am as a, as a Christian of 37 years, being reinvigorated in my relationship with Jesus, my black and white is becoming increasingly colorful and my small postcard is becoming increasingly large. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. And so I'm going to give you 12 surefire ways to reinvigorate, guaranteed ways to reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to do it in 12 minutes, okay? So lean forward in your seats. Come on, come on. Lean forward in your seats. Take out your pen, lick your pencil, lick your pencil and your paper. This is going to be, this is going to change your life. Are you irritated or are you intrigued? All right, number one, memorize scripture. This would reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus if you would memorize scripture. Johnny Rankin's one of my staff. I, I lead the Vineyard College and we've moved them in upstairs. Johnny Rankin uh, uh, was doing our staff devotions last week. And he arrived and he said, I'm going to read Romans 12. I was like, okay, well, Romans 12 is a pretty good scripture. I know that quite well. And he said, I've memorized Romans 12. So he starts, he's got a few notes because he's still in the process of memorizing it. And can, you, can I tell you the difference between glibly flicking out your cell phone and saying, oh, Romans 12, you know, so, you know, sort of he's this and he's that and gifts and sort of, you know, kind of be living sacrifice, all of this sort of thing. And a guy who speaks it out of his heart and says, I've learned this and it's now part of me. And when he says, you know, every time when it goes through that one of prefer one another um, in whatever it is, Romans 12, whatever, and you get to that point, he says, you have no idea how often in the day that God brings that out of you. Memorized scripture will reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus. Number two, turn off your TV and social media. And the, the part B to this probably should be, if I was a real preacher, is, and read your Bible instead, you, you, you dirty rotten sinners. But I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, turn off your TV and social media and relax and defrag and allow things to come into their natural order. You could do that for a day, you could do it for a week, you could do it for the rest of the year. I think it would reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus if you were to do that along the way. Number three, return to the last thing that God whispered in your ear. Return to the last thing that God whispered in your ear, that 
I love you, that it will be okay. I want to encourage you, you are okay, you are beautiful, you are um, able, um, you are not an accident. That last time, it may have been 20 years ago, it may have been this morning, return to that last thing and journal it, diary it, um, pray about it, go deep with it, allow it to settle into your life. Um, it will never be condemnatory. You'll know what it sounds like because it will never be telling you you're wrong, you're false, or anything like that. It will be the thing that was whispered in your ear in a loving way. Return to that and experience that for a new. It will revitalize your relationship with Jesus. Number four, ask an old faith warrior what makes him or her tick. And I want to do this. I'm going to do none, Nobody knows this. But if you are over 60 years old, 60 years old or over, can I please ask you to stand? Can you stand? Please, come on, you're brave if you're over 60. Yes, yes. These people stay standing. These people are warriors of faith. They probably don't think that, but they are. Julia Harris, when I became a Christian, the first day that I went into um, what was then Birkdale Baptist Church, Julia Harris was a deacon when I wasn't even a Christian. And I don't know what it was like to be a woman deacon. Probably in those days it was an unusual thing to do. And so it was a brave thing to do. And, and she is a hero of the faith. Um, Judy Anderson, you know, we were at a, um, a new people's event just a couple of months ago. And several people talked about they liked this church because, well, not, bec not only because, but they referred to the lady who knits. And they didn't know your name. And I said, everyone, her name is Judy. Her name is Judy. Her name is Judy. There was something about our church that you seem to have the freedom to knit and still to be here. But these people, they have been through, you know, kind of some of them have had um, magnificent marriages and some of them have had marriages that are broken. Some of them have had ideal situations with their children and some of them have had situations with their children that have been really tough. Some of them have had faith crises and they've battled through it. And these are heroes. And I would say it would reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus if you just went and said, what, so what makes you tick? I want to be in my 60s and I want to be like you. What an amazing thing. You can sit down. We should applaud them properly because they are. It would reinvigorate, wouldn't it? Number five, go deep with someone. Find someone who goes deep. Someone to go deep with rather than just to stay shallow with. So Jeremy O'Hanlon, he's not here today. We, Lavara and Fran and Jeremy and I, we, we share a, a home group. And at the start of this year, Jeremy and I started to go through NT Wright's um, Simply Christian together. And we, we made this great outrageous claim that we meet up for coffee every two weeks. So I think we've met six times this year or something like that. We got up to chapter six. But every time we share, we go a bit deeper and we reveal something more of ourselves. And it's a rich time and it's a good time. And it's a time where we're drawn forward, you know, despite ourselves. Because we share a home group, we could easily just have, catch up for coffee six times a year and say, how's, how's, you know, shoot the breeze, how's things? But because we go deep, we're enhanced in that process. I've recently started seeing a spiritual director, supervisor, you know, that's kind of at the expensive end of the, of the spectrum. But you can do this without needing to pay for it just by deliberately doing it. It would reinvigorate your life with Jesus. How am I going for time? Take a day off work and read the Gospel of John. Okay, so text your boss now and say, you know all of that holiday? And don't take a mental health day or don't take a false sick day. Take a day of your holiday. You'll still get paid. And if you say, I haven't got, <laughs> apart from my staff, you get back to work. Get back to work. 
So take a day of your holiday. If you say you haven't got enough time, you'll have holiday because you haven't got enough time. The reason is you won't have taken all your holiday, so you'll have holiday. So take a day's holiday and read the Gospel of John. And you'll read the Gospel of John in two hours and you've got about eight hours left. And you know, if I was a real pastor, I'd say take a journal and then you read the, you know, kind of the Gospel of Luke. But I'd just say, read the Gospel of John and follow whatever you like. Go and have coffee, go and walk the beach. Go and, you know, kind of get back on your social media. I know, no, it's probably not the right thing to do. <laughs> take a day off work and read the Gospel of John with an open end. I think it will reinvigorate your relationship with Jesus. Number seven, do it scared. This is, this is one of my favorite sayings from this year. I don't know whether people have been saying it all my life and I've never noticed it, but to do it scared. Some things we will just do rather than we've overcome it before we do it, we will overcome it as we do it. There are things we put off, things that we are not willing to do because we're frightened to do it. If we would only do it scared, it would reinvigorate our relationship with Jesus. Number eight, embrace ads. We're calling it the inbreaking kingdom. And from next Sunday, we're going to be talking about, if I get the order right, I think I have hope, peace, joy, and love. So next week is hope. You could spend this week thinking about hope, reading about hope, praying about hope, and then peace, and then joy, and then on Christmas Eve, two services, by the way, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock at night, which is a Sunday this year, um, we will be talking about love. So hope, peace, joy, and love. If you, if, you, if you embraced it, chances are most of us will only be here for two of the Sundays in December. December's tough. We'll be going away. We'll be thinking. We'll be, we'll be um, you know, kind of, um, you know, jetting off to see our family and all of those great things about Christmas. But you could actually invest in the process so that you embraced Advent and your relationship with Jesus, it would go from, it would go from some, some form of, you know, kind of um, black and white into a new aspect of color or the colors would get a bit better. Number nine. Take that risk. Take the risk of the thing that you've always put off, that you've always kind of been reluctant to do. One of my best quotes of the year, the, the, last, the last one was one of my best sayings, do it scared. One of my best quotes of the year is Peter Drucker, who's a leadership consultant, and he says this, people who don't take risks generally make about two big mistakes a year. So people who don't take risks generally make about two biggest mistakes a year. And he says people who do take risks generally make about two big mistakes a year. People who do take risks generally make about two big mistakes a year. So take that risk. Would you rather make your big mistake because you took the risk or because you didn't take the risk? Some of you, if you would only take that risk, you would discover Jesus in a new sort of way. Number 10, have you, have you chosen your one yet? Number 10, practice radical generosity. Radical generosity. You know, I'm a tither. You know, I've, I've tithed from the first day. I, I really encourage you to be a tither. I tithe before, I tithe before tax. All of those sorts of things, but it's not. That's not radically generous. It's just. It's just my life. That's a. You know. It's a. It's a valued, important part of my life. But radical gen. What would radical generosity? So you know, a hundred dollars to feed a family. You know, I did that in the Good Works Trust meeting to get our Give a Little page up and running. You know, kind of here's my credit card. Kind of did it. It was. It was like, that's not radical generosity. I fed one family for Christmas. You know, woohoo. I mean, radical generosity would be, we need to raise $10,000. I'll underwrite the $10,000 so that if we don't get there, um, 
we'll make sure and we've got to tell we've got 90 families booked at the moment the, the forms have gone out the order forms have gone out and we're in this process of saying we're going to raise nine or ten thousand dollars to feed every one of them so instead of you know we only raised five thousand sorry about those 40 i'm going to sort of say you know kind of i will underwrite it that would be radical generosity or what about radical generosity would be i could i'm going to add up all of the things i'm going to spend on my family on my holidays on my alcohol and on my food um over christmas and i'm going to match that by giving it to the poor that would be a radically generous thing to do and if you practiced if we practiced radical generosity it would be an amazing thing in reinvigorating our life with Jesus number 11 say yes to the last thing you said no to as long as it's moral <laughs> so <laughs> don't want to lead you astray or anything say yes to the last thing you said no to you know kind of sometimes it's like you know kind of can you do this no you know, kind of at least in our heart, or yes, no, maybe, or something like that, and then we don't. But we know in our heart that we've said no to it for the wrong reasons, but to say yes to the last thing that you said no to. And number 12. Oh, there is no number 12. But I had to get a dozen, didn't I? Ran out of things to say. Unlikely, eh? I've got 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 on my notes here. I'll show you later if you don't believe me. But number 12 really is, okay, so you don't like my 11? Write, write one for yourself. What would radically, guaranteed, reinvigorate your life with Jesus? What would take you, not next year, but now, from Jericho, as a, from the raft of the Medusa, as a, a pale imitation, grainy, to something like we saw something as big as this whole as this whole wall, and then some, and just write your own, and go and do that, because God would have us and draw us and lead us into that. So memorize scripture, turn off your TV and social media, return to the last thing God whispered in your ear, ask an old faith warrior what makes him or her tick, go deep with someone, take a day off work and read the Gospel of John, do it scared, embrace Advent. Take that risk. Practice radical generosity. Say yes to the last thing you said no to and, and fill in the blank. So now I want you to go away and forget everything I've said, right? Because that's, that's the deal. But no, not today. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to gaze. You know, we'd do sometimes, this sometimes in ministry, wouldn't we? We'd say, you know, if we've got a whole lot of people up here, we'd say, we just want you to look up the front and, and see who you're drawn to. This... I just want you to look at that and see what are you drawn to and allow yourself to be drawn. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overthink it. God will be with you. What are you drawn to? And yes, very clearly, if you don't like my 11, add something. Add something to it. And then this is how we're going to close our service today. In the last Sunday of every month, we have communion together. It's a beautiful time. It's a magnificent time. Um, just, Just kind of as a as a sort of an aside, but I think it's been really relevant. Uh, before I went to Cambodia, I went to Indonesia for some Vineyard Asian missions meetings, and the, the, the worship, main worship leader at that was a guy called David Ruiz. So you may have heard of him. He's, he's written a lot of worship songs, particularly in the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, but these days, he is the, um, the national director of the Vineyard Churches of Canada. So he was there, and he was leading worship. And he said what I thought was a profound thing on the last day when we were doing communion together. And it went something like this. He said, we have made the stage the center. 
And so by stage, and he explained it a little, he said, we've made worship the center. We have made star performers the center. And he kind of, as a worship person, he just looked and he said, the stage is a very, very bad center. And he said, this is the center of everything that we are represented here is what Jesus did coming to the cross, coming to know Jesus. These are the things. And so I want to pull us together kind of at the end, 12 guaranteed ways that uh, to reinvigorate our life with Jesus. And this is what I want you to do. As we, as we stand, I want you to come and I want you to grab um, some communion bread and, and, um, and juice. And then around the room are the numbers, which I'm kind of, um, that you can uh, apply from up there. And I want you to go and have communion with other people who are similarly warm towards one of these things. So it's, it's pretty, that's pretty in your face, isn't it? Um, and what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to introduce yourself so it means you'll cross the church a little and it means you'll probably meet people who you don't even know their names. And then just to pray for each other. And you might go to number one and there might only be one person at number one and that's okay. You might go to number two and there might be ten. So we don't know who's going to go where. But to go somewhere and come back to the centre who is the reason that we would reinvigorate and who is the inviter of us to reinvigorate. And that will be the end of church. For those who are visiting today, um, I don't, you know, for our people, I, would, I just kind of expect our people to respond because they're not here to listen to me, they're here to grow. So we're here to grow, aren't we? And so that's important. But for our people, for, for if you're visiting today and that sounds far too intense, you can do one of two things. You can just have communion on your own if you'd like to or, or not if you don't want to. Or I'm going to just stay and, and stay up here by the stage. And if that's not too intimidating, I'd love to meet you, love to have communion with you and love to bless you. So, you know, kind of if, hopefully give you a couple of outs um, in relation to that because we certainly don't want to embarrass you or in any way sort of feel like you didn't come um, booked for this. But for us as a church, we are called to grow. We are called to discover the bigness of this thing. And I reckon today is a day for all of us to do that. So let's stand. And we're going to pray. So Jesus, would you come? Come and fill our lives. And Lord, would you reinvigorate us? Reinvigorate our hearts and lives. Not that we're condemned because we're not invigorated ourselves already, but because we know that there's an invitation to cast out our nets in deep waters and to pull in a whole new catch. And we say yes, because that's what we're here for and that's what it's all about. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. You guys know what to do. Let's do it and let's love this. Look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Tonight, Kirk Vetti is going to be speaking on prayer, the last of our two-way series. If you want to come back, that would be absolutely awesome. God bless you.